Hello, and welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. You know this narrative by now, right? Maybe it's even your story. Here's how it goes. Somebody gets fired up about an issue in their community and starts taking steps to address it. Next thing they know, neighbors are coming to them for advice, momentum is building around this issue, and they're finding a whole community of people who care about that thing too. This then turns into a broader effort to change not just that initial issue, but also all the Strong Towns issues that are connected to it. Well, today's guest has lived that story. Her name is Sarah Sipgar. A few years ago, she decided to take the step to build an accessory dwelling unit in her yard in Windsor, Ontario. An accessory dwelling unit is also called an additional dwelling unit, an ADU, granny flat, and more. It just refers to any small house that is added to an existing lot. Could be a little apartment built over your garage or a mini cottage constructed in the backyard of your home, something in your basement, lots of options. So Sipcar successfully built an ADU. She found a great tenant, and the property was soon providing income for her family, plus a new sense of community with that tenant who helped out watching the house while she was traveling, they shared meals together, and more. She'll tell you about the myriad benefits of ADUs later in this episode. This is just the beginning of the list, really. After going through the intensive process of not just building the ADU, but first jumping through the many government hoops, permits, and financing challenges to get the project off the ground in the first place, Sipcar was motivated to help others navigate this complicated process too. She started a pilot project called ADU Search, which is an online hub where anyone can look up their address and find out what sorts of additional dwelling units could be built on their property. She began this initiative with properties in Windsor, but is now expanding it thanks to some grants and partnerships to encompass the entire country of Canada. Also, this whole time she's been working on this effort, she has been pursuing a PhD in geography and planning at the University of Toronto. So quite the accomplished, driven woman. With that, here is my conversation with Sarah Sipkar. Sarah Sipkar, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's so good to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the work that you currently do with ADUs and development? Sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a a long rambling story, but I live in Windsor, Ontario, which is on the other side of Detroit. We like to call ourselves South Detroit. And I live in in the downtown. And a couple of years ago, I mean, it was during the pandemic and I was thinking about things to do in the development space. Um, I had just taken an incremental development uh, alliance uh, workshop with Grayson Johnson, and I was really inspired by the work that they were doing. And so I decided to do uh, to try my hand at uh, development with an additional dwelling unit, which is, in in my case, it was detached and it's a tiny house in my backyard. And so, um, in in the summer of 2020, um, during the pandemic and things like that, I kind of dove in there. So, I got really passionate about tiny homes and ADUs, and uh, that kind of led to me uh, wanting to learn more, wanting to understand kind of the lay of the land, uh, more so in the Canadian landscape. Around the same time, I started my PhD uh, in urban planning at the University of Toronto, and 
I realized that uh, there's not a lot that we know about ADUs. They're kind of like a black box, um, especially at more of a macro scale. And so that inspired me to learn more about them and, and kind of get get more into it. So uh, I hope that answers your question as to maybe how I got here with all the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, definitely. And for the one that you built, um, was that mostly like a DIY project or did you um, were able to find other people that helped you out with that? Yeah, I was really fortunate that I had like a good network of people. I had a good friend who did the designs for me and, and we worked on something that worked for my my tiny lot. I developed something that was 430 square feet. It basically fits on, on my like 16 or, or sorry, um, I forget what my total lot area is now, but it's, it's pretty tight on my lot. So I worked with someone great to kind of make that happen. And then the builder who actually ended up uh, building it was a family friend as well. And he let me be really involved in each step of the process kind of took the time to explain things to me, you know, the different stages of actually building a home. And then even on some of the design decisions, you know, there are some game time decisions when I, you know, would walk into the space and realize, actually, that's a little bit too dark. We need a window here. And so I was really intimately involved in kind of that day-to-day stuff as well. And what have you done with the ADU? Is it like, does a family member live there or rent it out to somebody or... Yeah, I actually put it up, you know, to try to get a tenant. And I actually had an old friend reach out and he was looking for a space. And so ended up working out just the timing of his life. He was looking for a new apartment and he's been an amazing tenant. Uh, I'll give him a shout out. And we kind of have like a shared backyard courtyard space. So um, I developed a little patio at the back that's circular with a fire table in the middle. And he has a, a larger front porch area. So we really tried to utilize the space in a way that kind of extends the seasons. We're, we're the one of the most southern points in Canada. So we make the most out of summer um, and extend it. And so that really helped things. And yeah, we have a great little space that we share and kind of help each other out um, here and there when we go away, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a pretty good um, living situation. Well, I don't live quite as far north as you. I'm in Wisconsin, but I can definitely relate to the wanting to make the most of every moment that you can be outside and enjoying nature for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know we'll get into this in a second, but I'm curious from your your personal experience building an ADU, was there a lot of permitting issues and zoning and building codes that you had to really work around or was it pretty seamless to do something like this in Windsor? I will be honest and say that it was difficult. Uh, I was one of the first in the city of Windsor after they passed their detached um, ADU bylaws. And it took almost a full year to um, get uh, a permit. There was actually a, a bylaw change that was kind of instigated um, through through the whole um, permitting process. There were some changes that just kind of like housekeeping. But one of the things that was I struggled with was lot coverage and kind of there was like this Bermuda Triangle of trying to meet all the zoning bylaw requirements because they the city almost had like conflicting requirements where you can't do this, you can't do this. But then I didn't I didn't know how to proceed in terms of size and lot coverage and. So uh, midway through, thankfully, there was a, a zoning bylaw amendment um, in June of 2020. And so I was able to get my permit shortly after. But I started the whole process in like August of the year before. So it was quite a it was quite a journey. Uh, I know that a lot of homeowners in Windsor face a similar, um, you know, uphill battle. It's not it's not just the regulatory process, which could be a bit onerous, but it's usually actually the financing. It's all the pieces kind of working together to make it happen. And I knew that I was going to be a bit of a guinea pig. So I knew it was going to be difficult. So I kind of experienced it all, I think, on my end. 
And in Windsor, is there a, a real lack of housing options and affordable housing, or how does the ADU conversation fit into the larger situation in your community? Yeah, I mean, housing affordability is at a crisis level across all of Canada and a lot of, you know, the bigger metropolitan areas. And Windsor was, we were always kind of fortunate here for a long while because housing was considered, quote unquote, affordable and that we had a bit of a depressed market. And, um, you know, there was just... uh, two people, even one person on a good income could afford a home. Like I, you know, I bought my first house uh, for like 60,000. I mean, this was like in 2009, but you know, that was the, you could get houses in the one to $200,000 range and they were like good size family homes. And that has unfortunately gone away um, in Windsor. And so things have really increased. There was um, a lot of buying during the pandemic and things really picked up. And so now you're looking at the average family home you know, I think the, the last average was like in Windsor. I forget what it was, but I I, I would guess that it's somewhere in the like three to four hundred thousand dollar range. Um, just at the like that's at the the low end of the market now. And so, ADUs play a really I think important role because you can build one. Um, I would say for around one fifty to two hundred thousand, depending on how much you're doing on your own. Uh, how how big it is, um, you know. On the smaller side, you could get it down to like one seventy. But if you're going a little bit bigger, you know, closer to the eight nine hundred square feet kind of mark, you could increase. Uh, you know that it could increase to like two two fifty. But that's still cheaper than buying a house new. And so there's a lot of people who are turning to those options for their kids, for their parents, and thinking about multi generational living. Um, I noticed a lot of investors have kind of jumped in and realized, well, if I can't buy a unit for cheaper than, you know, 250, maybe I should just build it. And so I think there's a lot of, I think the ADUs are starting to be a really important conversation in our smaller mid-sized town. We're around like 200 or so thousand people. And so I can see that really, you know, starting across all of Ontario now as well. I'm wondering, you know, if you're comfortable speaking to this, do you feel like the your own ADU will be at a point where it, you know, cash flows or is profitable at some point? Is it already there? Um, I know, you know, it's a big upfront investment, of course, to do something like this. Um, But do you think eventually it will be like financially sustainable? Oh, yeah, for sure. It already is. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I had saved up some money to put into it. So I didn't take off, I didn't bite off as big of a mortgage. But in Canada, and I think I suspect this is true for a lot of I should say in Ontario, but I suspect it's true for a lot of uh, the states is I can't sever and sell the ADU. It's inherently attached, you know, to my to my property. And so um, so I am able to cash flow on it and it supports me as kind of like a mortgage helper, which is kind of how you have to look at ADUs because you can't, like I said, like, you know, sell them like a condo. Um, You can't, um, you know, sever and sell the land. And so when you're financing with a bank here, they really look at the whole property um, as collateral. It's much more expensive to just get financing on that one kind of um, just the one unit because it, they can't take it really as collateral. So they actually, I had to work with a credit union actually to like uh, figure out how I was going to refinance my whole mortgage without necessarily a strong enough income to support it. At the time, I, you know, my, my contract at work was done. I was just starting my PhD. I didn't have a solid income stream. And so thankfully the credit union was able to work with me and we, I had enough of a um, kind of a nest egg saved to put as a down payment, but I was able to refinance everything. And so it is cash flow positive now. 
And it's definitely an investment that I'm really happy that I made, even though at the time, um, I, I do think it was a bit risky. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is a big risk. You have no idea how this is going to go. But then the market really picked up as well. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, I know that after people get through or while they're getting through all the permitting issues and figuring out the zoning permissions, there's also that financing piece, which is really often tricky with, especially with ADUs. So yeah, yeah sure. impressed that you navigated that. That's awesome. Well, I think to that point, I think it should be easier for homeowners to navigate this whole process. Like, you know, I'm, I always say I'm not really a planner, even though I'm, you know, in school for urban planning. I come from a political science background, so I feel like I have a bit of imposter syndrome there because I'm not really a planner. So, but I, I was com- confronted with so many barriers and, you know, I had the kind of determination to navigate it because I knew it was going to be difficult. I had a lot of good people in my corner that I could go to, to be like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? And like, how can, how can I get through this? And so, um, I was thankful for that, but a lot of homeowners don't have that kind of support. They don't have the, the, the knowledge or the network. And so it is hard to take that first step and like, and kind of, and get things going because you don't even know what you don't know at that point. So it's a, yeah, development is a, is an interesting world. So after you successfully built your own ADU, have you moved on to um, other development projects or working with other people? Yeah, so I did a couple of things. Um, I have been working with a company here locally, um, helping to get the permitting and design process for ADUs going. Um, that's been, you know, I really like the design and building process, and it's been it's been a lot of good experience in terms of even more barriers that we've confronted. And you know, we've had some clients uh, pull their project because they they looked at the situation and they've thought, you know, this is too much risk for me. The city is putting up too many difficult uh, barriers, and I I don't. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest my money elsewhere, and so we've had some clients do that. We've had some owners just say, "I can't get financing. Like I can't. I I don't know how to get financing." And so, so that's been a really interesting experience, kind of on the ground, seeing like how ADU development actually plays itself out, and 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 all that. And then I also have moved on to a new project um, that is really exciting for me that I've been really uh, proud of, and that is adusearch.ca. And that's been something that I've worked on uh, with a couple colleagues here locally in Windsor, but now we are expanding um, nationally across all of Canada. So um, I can go into a bit more of that if you if you want me to as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear what is ADU Search and what are your hopes for this initiative? I think it was, it must have been uh, it's somewhere in 2021 or, or somewhere around there, early 2021, um, a friend of mine who's a colleague here, uh, Fraser Fathers, we were talking about the housing supply challenge here in um, Canada, which is an, an opportunity for funding through the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, CMHC, which is kind of the big federal agency dedicated to housing. They have some really you know, ambitious goals of, um, I think, solving our housing crisis by 2023. And I don't know all those details, but one of them is to drive innovation and create data-driven solutions. And so I'm not really a data person in the sense I don't have all that kind of technical knowledge. Um, and I'm much more on the, you know, theory, philosophical policy side of things, but um, Fraser is. And so he kind of tapped me and asked if I wanted to 
apply to this grant. And so we were successful in receiving funding to develop a proof of concept, which uh, for an online tool that we just called adusearch.ca. It didn't have a name at first, and that kind of became a working title that just stuck. And basically what we were doing is uh, using GIS uh, software and then working with a web development partner, we uh, are able to calculate the buildable areas of backyards of residential lots. And then we developed a categorization system of red, yellow, green, um, essentially to say like if a lot is green lit to be able to have a detached ADU or if it's a yellow, meaning, um, you know, there might be some additional requirements, some, some kind of hang up here that needs to be considered. And then red essentially meant that you don't pass the kind of like basic tests um, and you're, and you're lot probably isn't suitable for an ADU. And so uh, we developed it here locally in Windsor. So if you go to adusearch.ca, it is just the proof of concept for Windsor, Ontario. But we were funded another uh, $2 million to scale it nationally, which is really exciting. And, and so we're working to get it into the top 100 municipalities across Canada right now. Congrats. So the idea is that somebody could type in their address or you know, friend's address or whatever and find out whether they would be able to build an ADU on their property. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you would be able to see right off the bat if what's the buildable area look like? What's your minimum and maximum ADU size? One of the things that we struggled with was parking. Um, and so in the new version of the tool, parking is actually a user generated input. So we say, does this like, do you know if this lot meets these parking requirements? So that way they because we can't really account for parking spaces, but they tend to kill developments because especially on a small residential lot, if you have to add two parking spaces, that's massive um, if you don't have a driveway or something. And so we we flag parking, but we can't we couldn't account for it using the technology that we had. And so, um, yeah, essentially, we you could do that and get all the information and then be able to decide if you wanted to move forward uh, with an ADU or not. This seems like a massive undertaking, especially to then scale it to the whole country because, you know, local zoning laws vary so much. Um, how, like, how are you going about this? I mean, without getting into all the deep details, I'm sure it's like a huge process, but how do you navigate those? Uh, yeah, that's been the the biggest, I mean, the policy team that I have are amazing and they're so creative and I'll say innovative when we were trying to build our team, we were really looking for people who um, were like self-motivated and able to kind of over like good problem solvers. Cause we knew that this was going to be um, really challenging to overcome all of the uh, zoning bylaws and how, how much they vary. And so we've created a loose standardization system. And I say loose because it does like kind of change municipality to municipality of, um, you know, we input zoning by uh, bylaws into an Excel spreadsheet that's standardized, like all the columns that we think that we we will encounter. And then from there, we actually take it and put it into like a flow chart, um, kind of like a logic model to say like, okay, if you pass um, the zoning check, so you're, you're in the correct zoning district, it's a yes. And so that's a one gateway that you pass. And then if you pass the correct building type, meaning you have a single family detached, okay, that's a second gateway. And so we go we go through those gateways and we've kind of designed a flow chart for each of the municipalities. And then we essentially then pass that off to our GIS team who then build them up. They basically, we have a model that we've created and they kind of tweak it for depending on the municipality for those gateways. 
And then from there, we've created a whole comment database system where if it doesn't pass a certain gateway for this reason, we assign the correct comment so that the lot surfaces the correct information. So if you didn't pass the building type gateway, what will what will surface is, you know, this lot is not suitable um, for an ADU. And the consideration there would be um, you don't have the correct building type. And so we categorize that as red because, you know, changing your building type is pretty big undertaking and most people aren't going to do that. So yeah, that's a, that's kind of a loose way of, of how we've done it. Yeah. Okay. Very intense process, but a huge resource for your community and, you know, the whole country, hopefully. What else are you um, helping to connect people with? I know that you've done beyond just, you know, collecting this data, you've been involved in other efforts to like help make ADUs uh, more accessible and make them something that more people can think about uh, actually implementing. Yeah. And I think what we realized through this whole process is that there's no national kind of standardization or rules or even understanding of additional dwelling units in Canada. Uh, For example, like CMHC um, collects building permit data, but they don't ask anything specifically. They don't collect anything to do with ADUs. So at a national level, from a research perspective and a policy perspective, it's kind of a black box. What we're hoping to do is shed a lot of light um, on on that. Um, And in addition to that, what we're doing as part of the tool, so you can use it at an individual lot level, but we're also um, trying to aggregate all that data up so that it can be downloaded and exported and and also uh, visualized uh, for policymakers. Because, you know, part of the goal of this tool is not just to, to, you know, incentivize more ADU development for the individual, you know, property owner, but it's really to put tools in the hands of policymakers to make better decisions around ADUs. Um, One of the other things we're developing with the tool is, is, a national minimum regulation. And we're, we've developed uh, a couple members of our team have developed like a typology where they're, we're going to be kind of almost like artificially applying uh, fake zoning bylaws and on a municipality. And we say, look at what you look, how much more space you could have, or look how many more lots turn green. If you were to, you know, relax this setback requirement or, um, you know, allow for more building types to have ADUs. And then that gives policymakers the ability to say like, okay, maybe we do want to consider some policy changes because we could actually have more housing units that will help address the supply issue that we're facing in Canada. And so um, those are some of the types of things that we're including um, in order to help policymakers make better decisions as well. Very cool. Zooming out a little bit, I mean, why do you believe that ADUs are a a good solution to housing challenges, Um, especially your own experience building one? Like what has it helped you do and what do you you hope um, that would come out of this for, for other people deciding to build more ADUs? Yeah, um, I almost want to ask how much time do we have? <laughs> um, yeah, go for it. Um, you know, I've become a very passionate um, uh, ADU kind of like a, a, a apologist or something like or a, I don't know what the right word is, a proselytizer, where I'm just like ADUs everywhere. That's what I want to see. But in, in all seriousness, for me, you know, the experience of building an additional dwelling unit and then also having such a 
a good experience with a tenant who not only do I get along with, but also contributes really positively to the neighborhood fabric. I can see the ways that these units could be really beneficial at a neighborhood scale in terms of both adding density, um, but also at just, you know, that that social kind of fabric and like building community through the housing that through their housing options. Um, so that's one thing. But I think, you know, what the pandemic has showed us is that community is really important, but also that we need to be thinking about our seniors and we need to be thinking about ways we can support multi-generational family policy options. You know, I know, for example, that I've had a number of people say, I would like to build one of these for uh, at my parents' house and I will live in it. And then, you know, I can help out and take care of them. And that prevents, you know, maybe that family member, the you know, the senior from um, going to a long-term care home from, you know, and they have support that they that they need right, right there, right on their property. And then that creates those kind of uh, opportunities for connection. And uh, one, one research article that I read uh, maybe a couple months ago uh, said proximity, but privacy. And I think that ADUs really allow for a, a lot of flexible living arrangements, but people still have their privacy, but they're able to be close to their loved ones or maybe Maybe they're just even able to be close to other people and that create like that supportive environment. And I think, too, the other thing that I think is uh, around um, environmental concerns and climate change adaptation. And uh, we know that we can't keep doing greenfield development and it not costing us um, massively in the long run. And that we know that density is the way forward. And, you know, when I look at our existing neighborhoods, Windsor is a perfect example. We're basically one big suburb. You know, people like to argue that we we have a we do have a downtown, but it's not really high density. There's not like it's not a ton of condo buildings. I'm in one of the highest density, the most dense neighborhoods in our city, and it's still a lot of single family detached. And so what what I've tried to make the argument is saying that, like, it's unrealistic to think that all of these single family uh, residential neighborhoods are all of a sudden overnight going to just start having condo buildings that like people are going to actually have this high density, you know, buildings. It's possible on, you know, the, the main arteries, it's possible on, on certain lots, but it's not really possible at the neighborhood scale. And so ADUs allow for density in a, like a, a gentle way. I know someone's used the term gentrification, um, you know, in the strong towns world. And so it really allows for um, more densification. And and just one more point on this is, you know, in Windsor, we found that out of 66,000 residential lots, 29,000 were greenlit for detached ADUs. So that means that like, you know, if everyone were to build one, we could add 29,000 units, which is insane. That's a lot. You know, not everyone will, but even if, you know, 10% of homeowners did one in 10 houses, you know, did that's still like almost 3000 units. And so I think there's a huge possibility and potential here that it's very untapped. And so we're hoping to kind of inspire people to from a policy side and from a property owner side to kind of, you know, uh, get involved in, and see if they can build one on their property. Yeah, I think your point about um, proximity, but privacy, that's makes a lot of sense to me. You know, most of the other types of housing that are super affordable and, you know, would be existing in like a more dense type neighborhood, they are shared housing, you know, multifamily housing. And some people would really love to have their own, you know, fully their own space, even if it is, you know, a couple feet away from another house, it's still like, okay, this is my space. Um, and that's really meaningful to a lot of people. And so ADUs get to provide that. I know like I've had friends, especially 
uh, students, like friends in grad school or college who got to live in an ADU, like a little garage apartment or something. And it was like, wow, like this person on a very small income can still have their own space. And that's, um, that's pretty nice and meaningful um, for, for a lot of people. So that's a, a special perk of ADUs, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I'm probably preaching to the choir on, on this podcast a little bit, but on the, on the point about affordability too, um, you know, I don't know that ADUs are necessarily the silver bullet for affordability. You know, um, an, an investor could choose to uh, rent them out at market rent and, or even, you know, get, get the best that they can for a new build like that. However, it does give people the option though, to just cover their costs. Um, it does give people the option and there is research that does show that, you know, that if you know the person uh, or if it's a family member, you're less likely to charge uh, market rate rent. And so I think that as you, as you kind of mentioned, people can live on a more modest income and they can still have that that proximity and, and really have that like quality of life, um, access to outdoors, space, more of that privacy. And just I think that the lifestyle that um, is sometimes not as possible in a, in a more of a shared living arrangement. Yeah. And then that also brings us to another big value of ADUs for the person that owns, you know, the other property on the lot, which is the potential of an added income, um, which can be huge or even make the difference between being able to stay in a home or not, if it's getting unaffordable or, you know, you're aging and you're on fixed income or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, that, you know, that was, that's my situation. That's the situation for a lot of people right now. And I also think, you know, in Canada in particular, because the housing market, the threshold to enter it is, is now much higher. It means that there's a lot more extended situations for people renting. There's not the ability to just buy a house once you have that, you know, stable career and maybe you're, you're like wanting to, you know, put down roots and, and all that. And so, ADUs kind of provide that opportunity for people um, to have that same sense of stability, I think, and have that same kind of connection. I know that, you know, my relationship with my tenant, he's expressed that like he really loves having like his own house, even though he um, probably won't be able to buy for a while still. And so um, it, I think it gives that sense of like ownership that maybe isn't always there um, in other rental kind of situations. So what advice would you give for somebody listening that is interested in, you know, whether they're actually like, I want to build my own ADU or just um, interested in advocating for greater housing options and flexibility in their community? Well, if they're in Canada in the new year, you could go to the ADU search tool and start there. But um, if you're elsewhere, I think it's always about just starting small and taking the next step that's in your capacity. I know for me, it felt really big and overwhelming to start even building um, and where do I start? And so I really just asked for help. I, I I went to, you know, I tried really hard to build relationships with people who were thinking along similar paths, understood what I was trying to do. And I asked a ton of questions. Like I just was like, you know, assume I, I just would say like to myself, it's okay. I'm just going to, I know I don't know this. And so I'm just going to keep asking questions. Um, and, you know, I think those questions led me to realizing we need more ADU development resources for homeowners in Canada and for policymakers as well. And so if you're in a community where you're like, there's nothing here, I don't know anything about ADUs, there's resources. There's one resource, I, I don't know if um, this person has been on the podcast, but um, Cole Peterson's The Backdoor Revolution is really great for for the U.S. It's a book uh, geared towards people in the U.S. Um, there's stuff like that where you could just learn and then figure out if it's the right thing and then 
save a little bit of money, get get a good set of designs, get a good designer, um, and then just keep asking questions along the way. Uh, it's it's a long process, so it's like you can't give up early. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, as you said, did you say it took you a year to get the permitting going? Yeah, it took a, almost a year to get the permit and then about three to four months to actually build it. So I started in August of 2019 and then the whole thing was built by the end of November of 2020. So yeah, it was over a year. And I think that's that's pretty normal. Like that would be a more normal. I think you could maybe, uh, you know, whittle down that timeline a little bit if you already have designs or if your permitting process is really easy. But those are kind of external factors that you may not have control over. So prepare for it to be longer, I think, than you actually think it will be. Got it. Um, And when do you hope to have ADU search up and running for the whole country? Uh, by the end of March 2023, that's our funding agreement that we have to kind of uh, meet. So we're, we're working really hard. Um, we're probably going to hit about 70 to 75 cities at that point. So we're going to launch it in probably February of 2023 and really start to get it going in March. Um, we're not sure exactly what our launch will look like, but I imagine it will be you know different regional launches across Canada, um, depending on the metropolitan areas and, and you know, which which municipalities are on board? Where do we have support from the private sector? Um, we're kind of right now in that um, the beta testing phase where we're going to municipalities and just letting them know this is what we're doing. Here's what's up. And so we're excited to kind of share that with everybody in the new year. Excellent. Well, I will make sure to share links to ADU search and your development website and um, all the resources you've mentioned today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show. It was great to uh, feature your story and hear from you and learn from you. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. And if anyone wants to reach out, um, you can reach me on Instagram and and all that and um, at Sipcar Development, but feel free to share that um, as well. So thanks. Will do. All right. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Ms. Sipcar couple of important announcements at Strong Towns. The first big one is that we are currently hiring for a staff writer. This is someone who will be full-time writing for the website, helping us, especially with our five new campaigns that we've unveiled and bringing, you know, ideas, inspiration to this team to be a big role in um, the online content that we produce every day. So if you're interested in that position, the applications are due Sunday, October 9th at midnight. So get your application in ASAP. The good news is the first round is literally just giving us your email address. And then um, after that, we will send out a questionnaire. So get started, get that email address submitted to us by Sunday, October 9th. Just go to strongtowns.org employment. That's where you'll find a more thorough job description, you know, information about benefits and pay, and then the application link. So highly encourage you to do that. We will also be hosting an informational Q&A webinar where you can learn more about the position too and bring your questions. That will take place Monday, October 3rd at 1.30 p.m. Central. And again, strongtowns.org slash employment. That's where you can sign up to attend that webinar and submit your questions. Would love to have a great group of folks apply for this. I know there's a lot of good writers out there. I know there's a lot of people who have been waiting for their chance to potentially write for Strong Towns. So if that's you, or if you know someone who might be a good fit, please send the job description their way. 
My other announcement isn't so much big news as it is just a reminder that um, we have two other podcasts, the Strong Towns podcast and Upzoned, both of which have been on you know some breaks, a little bit of hiatus over the last couple of months, but they're really both back in full swing. So um, definitely check those out. Strong Towns podcast comes out on Mondays. Upzoned comes out on Wednesdays. Um, just search for them in your podcast feed and you should find them. That is it for me today. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, everyone. Thank you.